This morning we're going to launch into our study of 1 John chapter 4, and in this, uh, in this particular chapter we're going to see um, how we can uh, try the spirits and triumph over them in the spirits. So I'm glad you're with us this morning. If you're joining us for the first time, we're glad that you're here. I'm sorry no one raised their hand, but I understand. If you want to text us at 94,000 um, and put in HBF guests, or, uh, then we will uh, get you a gift. And we have some special gifts for you. If you're online joining us, we'd love to have you here as well. HBF guests to the number 94,000. We will get you connected and directed. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of 1 John chapter 4. And if you don't have your Bibles, you grab one from the seat rack in front of you and turn to page 1,633 in the HBF Bibles in your uh, pew. should be one near you. Uh, so uh, we're glad that you're here this morning. And I want to jump into the text because I've got a few things to talk about this morning. And, and uh, John, uh, just by way of review, revealed how God's love impacts our identity in chapter 3. If you've been here uh, you'll you know probably remember that we keyed off of what John was doing in chapter two and verse twenty eight. He was letting us know that it was so important to be ready for the judgment seat of Christ, ready, confident in the coming of the Lord Jesus. And so he busts into chapter three and tells us what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And and uh, and we went through that series and talked about our identity in Christ, uh, took care of all our daddy issues, and now we got our Father in heaven, which is awesome. So. Um, and so, praise the Lord. Now that he's covered that and we're s- secure in that, he focuses our attention outwardly, <clears throat> and, uh, and he wants us to understand some things concerning uh, these that would have a spirit of Antichrist or false prophets. So that helps us. It helps us to have confidence in the Lord uh, at his coming uh, and nail all that down before we turn our attention to our protection, because now he's going to help us get protected from some of the spirits that... Uh, existed in the first century and certainly exists today. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at the first six chapter, or verses this morning of chapter 4. First six, there's only five chapters, so we couldn't look at six. We're going to look at the first six verses of First John chapter 4. By the way, if you're new to the Bible, maybe you're just coming to church and you're like, First John is at the back. So there's the epistle of John, the big thick one. Uh, just keep going. Go all the way to the back, actually, Revelation, and go forward, and then you'll find First John uh, at the back. It's only five chapters long. It's very short. So First John chapter 4 and verse 1. Uh, let's read this together. Uh, we can go ahead and remain seated since you guys were just standing, but in our hearts let's stand before the Lord and give him honor and glory. Uh, the Bible says here, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God, and this is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard it, um, <clears throat> heard that it should come, and even now already is uh, is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us, and he that, is, uh, he that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for the incredible praise that we've been able to offer up and, and join in with the, the 
the praise that goes on in the chorus around the throne of God this very morning. Thank you for the Spirit of God that we just read about that lives in us, that makes us overcomers, and we know that greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. So we're so thankful, Lord, for the gift of eternal life. We're thankful for the gift of the Holy Ghost. We're thankful for uh, the promises of Your Word. Help adjust our minds and our hearts, Lord. Help align our thinking and our and our um, affection, Lord, on the things above this morning. Lord, may our hearts uh, be lifted to you. Uh, Lord, may they be sealed in your courts above as we often sing. Lord, may you be glorified today in the reading, the hearing, the living of the Word of God. Lord, may you bless all the ABF uh, messages that went forth earlier today and all the activity, all the conversations. Lord, now we're pausing for a moment to just to hear from you. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would just speak as you only can. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, as we look at this passage, we see that John wants to protect us from false prophets. It's pretty clear as with a casual read. You don't have to be a PhD in the Bible uh, to know that. So he commands us not to believe <clears throat> them and to place them on, a, on trial and cross-examine them against the Word of God. Because before we look at the forensic evidence of a false prophet, I just want to focus on uh, our identity, right? So as I stated, if you want to <clears throat> spot the phony, as you guys actually correctly said, Right, you have to know the authentic and the true prophet, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, on your outline, the first thing that we've got to do is know ye the Spirit of God. If you look in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1, uh, John says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. And so, our first point here is that we've got to know God's affection for, you know, particularly you in particular, not just us in general, but individually. God has an affection for you, but also he has an affection for us because we're the church, we're the bride of Christ. And so he says, well, he uses this word beloved. And John, you know, it's interesting. I I learned, again, this week, last week I learned something I didn't know. This week I learned something I didn't know. Um, When I was looking at this word beloved, John never used that. Even though he's the apostle that Jesus loved, and and love is mentioned a lot in the book of John, the word beloved is not mentioned at all in the book of John in any form, not in a Greek, not, there's no other word. I mean, this word that he's using is only being used uh, in his writings in 1 John, uh, and that's because of, of the nature of our relationship with Christ, the mysteries that the apostle, I believe John had access to the mysteries that the apostle Paul had been given, and, and at, the, at the end of the, uh, of the first century, he understands clearly now the relationship between Christ and the church, and he uses this word beloved. That's a word that Paul would use as well, because we are the beloved. When you go back in the Old Testament, look in Song of Solomon, that relationship there that pictures Christ and the church is, 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 is using the word beloved over and over again. So uh, it's interesting, because the word beloved is mentioned 61 times in the New Testament, uh, so it is well used. It's five times in First John. We've already covered it um, twice in chapter 3 and verse 2 and 21 uh, in the previous chapter. But now he uses it in verse 1, verse 7, and verse 11. So that's all five mentions are found in 1 John chapter 2 and 3, which makes sense because that's the heart. That's the heart of the book of 1 John. And so he uses this phrase, beloved. And so you're beloved. You need to know God's affection for you. Beloved means well-loved. And you know, a lot of folks today probably don't feel well-loved. Now, if you don't feel well-loved and you're a Christian, then, then you've already, you know, right? We're already judging the Spirit. Something's going on because you are well-loved. That's what the Bible is very clear about. God so loved the world. And we preach that in a, con- in a context of the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But as a child of God, if you're going to be right with God and right with all these spirits in this age, you've got to understand that you are well-loved. You are beloved. You are special to God. The church is special to God as well. And that's why we have to make sure that we uh, honor God's word because we don't want to be dishonorable to the one who loves us, right? We want to be faithful to him because he's faithful to us. And so uh, we are well-loved. And if you think, well, no, I'm not, then you, you have already believed a lie, right? So it's important that you just get that straight right now. Now, we don't operate on our emotions. We operate on the truth of God's word and it's objective, but it does drive our emotions. Your emotions are driven by objective facts, you know, empirical evidence that God died on the cross for your sins ought to, ought to affect your relationship with him. When your emotions are off, that's okay. God's truth never changes. But you do want to align the way you, you think with what God says so that your emotions can follow, so you have the right responses. So it's just something to throw out there because emotions lead us astray so often. And I mention that today because everyone's so stimulated emotionally. Everything you view, everything you hear, especially in the, the currently, I mean right now in our culture, everyone is a little on edge because everyone's emotions are being stimulated in a big way. And so, uh, or maybe I should say agitated, all right? So, uh, and so it's important that we, we say, stop, stop. God loves me. You know what? God loves you. God loves this world. Right? That's the truth. That's the truth of the matter. And so it's important that we understand we know God's affection for us. And, and particularly when I say for you, I mean you. God is in love with you, and he loves you. Uh, not like one of those sappy Christian songs, but I mean, you know what I mean. He loves you in the truest sense of the word. And, and so, <clears throat> so uh, John typifies the church as he is caught up in the third uh, heaven in chapter 4 of Revelation. There's a special relationship that Christians and the church have with the Lord Jesus Christ because of God's grace and love toward us. We are beloved today, and we look forward to God's provision for us, even his protection of us. So John was the only apostle who went all the way to the cross. He was faithful. He's the disciple that God, that the Bible says that Jesus loved, and he was the disciple that went all the way to the cross. And then when he was at the cross, in John chapter 19 and verse 27, what did, what did Jesus bequeath to, to John? Anybody remember? Right, his mom. I mean, so he, his, as an earthly man, he bequeathed his mother to him. That's important because it's recorded in the book of John, but it also it drives at the heart of some of the false teaching uh, that was going around in the first century because people were saying Jesus wasn't a physical person. John could stand up and say, uh, yeah, he was. I've been taking care of his mother, you know, uh, I took care of Mary at my house, you know, so uh, yeah, I've, I, he's a real person for real. He, was a, he wasn't just a deity, he became a reality in the form and was incarnated and was born and was a man. He was just as human as he was divine. And so John was a special, uh, a special person, but you know what, he was also like us, right? He's just a good old sinner dog that got saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So John's message uh, to his beloved is believe not every spirit. But try the spirits, whether they be of God. So John is warning Christ's bride of the, of the winds of doctrine that deceive and beguile God's people. He says, try the spirits. Uh, he first, he says, don't believe everything you hear. That's good counsel today, by the way. Don't believe everything you hear, but try the spirits, right? Test them. Try the spirits. See whether they're of God. Is this of God or is it not of God? And he says, um, when he says try the spirits, what he wants us to do is put them on trial against the standard of course, of what we think? No, 
we put it against the standard of what God's Word says. Try the spirits. Put them on trial. When we have a trial over here at the Cass County Courthouse, what do we do? We, we, have, we, we don't just kind of sit back and say, well, what do you think? Let me, let me go back in my chambers and talk it over with some other lawyers, and we'll decide what we think. No, there's laws, there's statutes, there's things already established. You judge people by the law. And, they, they, of course, no man measures up to the law, so if you're in that place, you're in trouble. But uh, anyway, you, you, you judge by the law. The law is recorded. God is the lawgiver, and so he is the perfect standard of righteousness. And so he, put, he says, hey, listen. John's saying, listen, church. Listen, beloved. Make sure you try these spirits. Run them through the word of God. Filter them through the word of God. And you know what? Take all the dross and throw it away. Get rid of it. If it doesn't make it through the, the truth filter, you don't need it. You don't need it in your noggin. Get rid of it. And so John's message to his beloved is, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they be of God. And so this is a very practical message that can be applied, by the way, in every dispensation. It doesn't matter if it's the, the pre-flood. It, it, it applied in the garden. Wouldn't it have been good if, if they would have tried Satan's uh, spirit before they took of the forbidden fruit, right? That would have been great. Uh, in every dispensation, this is one of these things that can be applied. Some of these passages are a little harder than others because they certainly have a tribulation context uh, primarily. But this one is easy to apply uh, in our lives. So if you care about someone who will want to warn them, and you'll want to warn them, I'm sorry, of things and protect them from things that are harmful uh, to them, right? And John wants to protect us from things that are harmful and protect uh, those that he loves. So John is warning those whom he, he and God care about of the spirits that would beguile the church. Now, point B, know the Spirit's confession. In verse 2, he goes on to say, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. So this is with confidence. We know the Spirit of God, capital S, Holy Spirit. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. So the confession that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is, uh, is called the mystery of godliness. And, by, and that was revealed by the Apostle Paul. The Spirit revealed uh, to the church the incarnation, the death, the burial, and the resurrection by the Spirit of God. So the Apostle Paul received this understanding clearly and records it. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, uh, it is in writing. It says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. And so that therein is the mystery of godliness. Now in John chapter 1 and verse 14, the Bible says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Of course, that's the proper noun, the word, capital W. So Jesus Christ was made flesh, he dwelt among us, and then in parentheses, John wrote, And we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So they were able to see him, John and James and Peter, on the Mount of Transfiguration. They saw him before he even went to the cross. They saw him as, well, no one can see God. But they saw Jesus Christ glorified, fell on their faces. Um, and, of course, uh, then they, uh, he said, um, <clears throat> you know, Get up and get going, guys. So he, he basically, uh, Peter writes about that incident in, a, in, a, in Peter chapter 1 and verse 19. And he says, man, we have a more sure word of prophecy than even the, the physical appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so <clears throat> we have God's truth. 
we have the mystery of godliness revealed to us. And so we judge everything by that absolute standard. In 1 John 3, 5, uh, John went on to say, And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. He was the sinless Son of God. He wasn't a sinful human, but he was all human, and he was all God. He never sinned, and that's what made him the perfect sacrifice for our sin, the spotless lamb. So John's introduction in, in uh, 1 John chapter 1, verses 1-3 through 3, is based on the fact that Jesus had an earthly ministry and the apostles had handled the word of life in this earthly ministry. So you also have the, the reality that, that John hung out with Jesus, literally, physically. And so the disciples of Jesus uh, knew the mystery of godliness because they knew Jesus in a very literal way. But so do you, because the Spirit of God dwells in you. You know him just like they know him, because he's in us. He knows things about you from the inside out, right? No man knows the mind of the Spirit, but the Spirit that's in him, right? So you have the mind of Christ. Not only does he know what you're thinking, then you should know what he's thinking, because he is in you, and we have his mind. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So we will uh, bookmark this conversation and pick this up in a minute, because it's pertinent on the other side of this message. So we just keep that mystery of godliness kind of rolling around the back of your head, We'll pick that up in just a minute. But point C, we got to know the Spirit's identification, getting into what I was just talking about. He says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now, emphasis on this verse is ye are of God. Are you of God or are you not? Amen, right? It's, it's, not, a, it's not I might be. You either are or you're not. You're of God or you're not. You're either in or you're out. You're either born again or you're not saved. You know, you are of God or you're not. And so uh, this morning, I pray that everybody here is of God. And if you're not, we can fix that. You can be of God. All you have to do is receive this sacrifice for sin, the Lord Jesus Christ, believing on him, and he will save you. So you're of God. That statement should bring great comfort to all of our hearts, right? In First uh, John chapter 2, John established that the mature saint has overcome the wicked one. You might remember this passage. He says, I have written unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you young men because you are strong and the word of God abideth in you and you have overcome the wicked one. You have overcome the wicked one. Well, how do we do that? Well, we do that because uh, we, we have overcome them because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We are walking in the spirit. That's why he's not talking to little children. Little children are often stumbling in the Spirit. But young men are walking in the Spirit. They're running in the Spirit, right? They are, they are now understanding what it is to have the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, all that, right? So they're filled with the Spirit. He says, hey, listen, you've overcome the world. How do you overcome the world? Well, you walk in the Spirit. It's really simple. But he puts that together for us in verse, uh, chapter 2 and verse 14 and 1 John 4, 4, when he lets us know we've overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And I can't tell you guys from my uh, early days in, as a Christian, <clears throat> you know, 30 plus years ago now, man, I had, that's one of those favorite memory verses in my heart that uh, I don't think I even learned it in discipleship, but that one of those passages that just comforts me. How, how many of you ever use that verse in your, I mean, just in real life? Greater is he that is in me than he's in the world. That's just one of those, you can memorize that before you leave today, right? I mean, get that down and, uh, and use that thing because it is so comforting. It's so incredible just to know, wow, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. 
Now, if you're like, you know, I know what it's like. You go to work, you go here, you go there. You run into some things. You run into some problems, you run into some people. Sometimes you might even be intimidated. You might feel like a little, little less than the people around you or feel like you don't fit in. Listen, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So that's not a confidence that you get from the flesh. You know, that's not like working up some false machismo. We're talking about with all humility, with all, with all uh, gravity, you can walk into any situation in this world as a child of God, knowing you're a child of the king, and greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. There's no reason, you know, to, to be in fear. There's no reason uh, to, to uh, you know, be in, uh, scared, even of the false, the false prophet, right, the big bad wolf. Hey, man, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. It doesn't matter if they got a big television show and cameras all over the place. It doesn't matter because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's a beautiful promise uh, that we can hang on to. <clears throat> and so uh, the, this identification in Christ comes with this great encouragement to the child of God, revealing how our identity as sons of God gives us the leverage over false spirits. Your identity as a child of God gives you, as a son of God, as we saw in chapter 3, gives you leverage over the false spirits because you've overcome them. Because, not, of you, not because you've done anything, other than trust Jesus Christ who is now in you. And if you've let his mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, you've got the edge because you are, you are ready. And so understanding the Spirit of God, the invisible person of Christ dwells in you, it gives you that upper hand over the spirits of this world. So once you have the authentic spirit, right, then you can try all the phonies because you're the real deal. If you're born again, you are the real deal. You are a child of God. And so you should be able to know, if you know God, if you're walking with God, it's going to be a lot easier to spot the phonies. We've all heard that example of that's how they find uh, counterfeit bills, right? And, and when it comes to cash money, which is soon going away, I'm sure. But uh, you, take the, you take those bills, right? And then if you know the real thing, you can, you can spot the phony. Well, guess what? The real thing is not Coca-Cola. The real thing is, is the Spirit of God in you. Man, that's the real thing, and that's incredible. So point D, know the reputation of those who minister to you. So it's not just about you, although it is in verse 4, ye are of God, little children. Know that, but he, so, he goes on to say, hey, and so are we. <laughs> We're of God, in verse 6. We're of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. And, that is, and uh, he that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth, and the spirit of error. So there is a spirit of truth, of course, and we have that. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the spirit of God in us. But there's also a spirit of error. Well, what is the spirit of error? Well, this is when the fundamental closed mind Baptist comes out in me. So if you're wanting something to throw at me here, I'm going to give it to you right now. Anything, anything that contradicts the truth, that's the spirit of error. Because in, in this world that I live in, I have an absolute standard of righteousness. And the world I live in, by the way, is more real than the world you're sitting in right now. And, I, and that sounds weird, like I'm in an alternate universe. But my point is this. There is a spiritual world and there's spiritual truth. And it is contained therein in the Word of God. Now, I don't understand fully right now. I'm not able to fully grasp every nuance. This Bible's eternal, right? But what I do know with certainty, I know with certainty. It is absolutely true without error. If anything's wrong, it ain't the Bible, it's me. Well, for those English majors, it isn't the Bible. It's me, all right? So, uh, so the bottom line is this. We have a, an absolute standard. 
to judge everything by. It's the truth of God's word. Now, uh, John is writing, and he says, now just remember, guys, we are of God. So this isn't just, you know, you, Long Ranger. This is all of us. I, we are of God. And he says, he that knoweth God heareth us. And so this is a problem that the apostles seem to have. And even it's, I can't, it's kind of weird. It's so soon after the resurrection of Christ, these false prophets were let on the loose, and they were causing problems. The apostle John and his disciples, which included all of us who follow Jesus, are of God. We saw that already in verse 4. But we have been begotten or born of God, therefore we carry the words of God to the lost and dying world. John is reminding the saints that the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree. If you're of God, verse 4, then guess what? So are we, right? You know, Paul in another passage says, I have begotten you, right, through the gospel. And so uh, the, the false prophets will not receive the teaching of God's children but, but we should hold uh, God's servants in reputation. Now, that word reputation, which is your blank there, is a word even in our, you know, there's a, there's a sense sometimes when you think of reputation that it's phony, it's fake, it's just your reputation. It's actually, in the Bible, in the New Testament, that's not the point. The point is the reputation is important. <clears throat> and Philippians 2.29 says that, Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation. Right, so you want to you want to you want to make sure that you understand that that person is uh, is honored. Right, that's an honorable position, and and so John says, hey, just like God loves you, God loves us, and uh, just like you're of God, we're of God. So we know those uh, here. We know those who have authentic authority are of God. So we see the account in, of Nicodemus, and they hear. God. You know what's interesting? When you go through and you look at the Gospels, right, there's a lot of Pharisees and the Sadducees that will not hear Jesus. But there's this one guy that, that uh, God points out and, and re- records for us in history. We're not going to look at the references for time's sake. But there's this one Pharisee named Nicodemus. And it's interesting how, you know, you see in chapter 3 how initially he's just kind of, you know, he's calling him rabbi. But you know what he really wants to do? He wants to talk with him. He wants to hear more of what Jesus has been saying. Jesus has been preaching. Jesus has been, uh, you know, being interrogated uh, by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And while the rest of them are closing the door on Jesus, there's this one guy, Nicodemus, and he's like, "Well, I want to, I want to, I'm going to talk. I'm going to get him alone tonight in the dark." And he comes up to Jesus at night and says, "Hey, uh, Rabbi, what about this? What about that?" And of course, Jesus busts him in the chops and says, "You got to be born again." And he's and his head's in a spinning. But you know what's interesting is he continues to hear the voice, hear Jesus. I don't mean just listen to him through his ear hole. I mean, he, he continues to meditate on what he's saying. He continues to receive the teaching of Jesus. And before long, he's at odds with the Sanhedrin. He's, he's saying, hey, guys, what, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't judge somebody too soon. Let's, let's give him a space. And, hear, and they're like, hey, what are you talking about? This guy's born of fornication. What are you, you know, what's your problem, Nicodemus? And the next thing you know... He's catching a little bit of flack that Jesus had because he was hearing the truth. It wasn't long before he and Joseph of Arimathea are begging for the body of Christ and and, uh, beseeching for his body, and they take it and bury Jesus, and he comes out in the open. And I believe that he's a follower of Jesus before it's over. But, you know, those those that won't hear the word of God, I got news for you. You're not of God. If you're wondering today, am I of God or not? Well, if you won't hear God's word, you're not. I can remember when I was not of God. 
And uh, I, would, I didn't want to hear God's word. Have you ever, I, some of you had different lost experiences because some of you are just nice people. But man, when, when you're lost, and, and I tell you what, there's some times you can just be downright cantankerous and you don't want to hear the words of God. You don't want to come in a building like this. You don't want to hear some guy get up and preach a monologue. You know, it's just like, get off me, get away from me, come up with all kinds of things. Uh, what is that? That's because you're not with God. You need to get with him. He loves you. He wants, to, he wants to draw you to himself. But when you start getting like Nicodemus and all of a sudden you start to, you hear, it's like good music. You know, when, you, when, when music is tuned in and it's all, you know, going the way, I don't know music enough to even describe what I'm talking about, but when you hear good music of any kind, classical, whatever, well, some of the music just isn't any good, but that's another discussion. <clears throat> you know when it's right. You know, when it's just everything is hitting just right. That's the way the Word of God is. It's like music that's just, it's just playing just right on key. And God tunes our, our heartstrings to that, and we start to hear that. And it quickens us. And, and man, if you're at that place, don't turn it off. That's one radio station you need to leave on. right? You need to keep listening to what God's bringing. You may not be saved yet, but God is calling you. And His voice is attractive. The Spirit and the Bride, that's the church, say, Come. It's so gracious, it's so good, it's so, it's so true. You need to come. You need to receive the goodness of God. So John, is, he's preaching and he says, hey guys, make sure that you remember that we're of God. And, uh, and know that, you know, ye, he that knoweth God hears us. But those that don't know God, they don't hear us. They're not listening. And so those who reject Christ's words, well, they're rejecting Christ. And so it's important too, we're going to take it to the streets today. Sometimes people... As kind And we should always be as kind as possible, as gentle as possible, fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. I mean, we should, all that should be manifest, patient. But at the end of the day, sometimes people just reject you because they reject Jesus. But conversely, you know what? People receive you because you've received Jesus. Isn't it nice to come to a family? You come here on Sunday, you're in the, the household of faith, the family of God, and you can come in and you have family. Some, some of us in this room are closer with each other than you are your own physical families because you're estranged because they're estranged from Christ. Man, that's sad. It hurts my heart, but I'm still glad you got a family. I'm glad you got a place. I'm glad that God has brought us together through his spirit. You know, in John chapter 8, uh, Jesus said this to those Pharisees that were uh, uh, being uh, very critical of his truth. Why do you not understand my sweet speech, Jesus asked them. He says, why can't you really understand what I'm saying? You know, if you see that Charlie Brown uh, cartoon where whenever the adults are talking, it's just a, it's just a trumpet going, rawr, rawr, rawr. you know, you don't even hear, you can't, you can't even hear a, a clear sound. You know, that's what the Bible's like to many people. I can remember trying to read it, and it was like that. I can remember trying to listen to it. And it was like that. It was just like, I, I didn't know what it was. I couldn't make any sense of it. It was like Greek. But you know what? Jesus gives the answer why you can't understand the word of God. Even because you cannot hear my word, he says, ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there's no truth in him. Truth in us is the key. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. This again takes us back to chapter 3, right? It's our birth. 
We have a birth problem. If you have not been born again, the truth of God's word is not going to be ringing clear in your ear. When we, when I preach, when Randy preaches, when Steve preaches, when Jeff preaches, when Jason preaches, when Je- uh, Jeremy preaches, when, uh, who am I missing? Uh, Bob preaches, uh, or one of the other leaders in the church preaches, when somebody's preaching, you're just hearing, you know what, you might want to check. Check your birth certificate. When you're reading the Bible, you know, now sometimes the Bible, that's the, by the way, I do want to be careful when I say this. The Bible is not just something, it's super easy to learn, right, overnight. But once you get saved, the Word of God should speak to you. Even if you don't understand it in context, even if you don't understand exactly what's going on, uh, you know, start in the New Testament, because it is hard to figure all this stuff out when you're first a new Christian. So I want to give lots of grace there. But once you get oriented in the Word of God, especially in the New Testament, if you're saved, the Spirit of God should start talking to you. It doesn't mean you always understand what it's talking about, but it should start communicating. God should be talking to you. And beloved, that's the key. That's the key to know some things about who your Lord is. Know the Spirit. Know, you're to know the Spirit. Know ye the Spirit of God. Jeff and I just came back from a whole conference on this whole subject of the Spirit of God. Now, we don't want to highlight the Spirit over, over Jesus Christ or the God the Father, uh, but the reality is there is a reality in our life where God's Word should be quickened. The word Spirit is just pneuma. It just means air, right? But when God uh, directs His words to our hearts, it, it brings us to life. And if you don't know Him and the power of His resurrection, if you're not having a relationship with truth, then you're not going to be able to spot error. You're going to be You're going to be in trouble. And so it's important that we, we are the real thing. We're authentic and we have a real relationship with Christ. Now let's move to point two. Because we, we understand, try the spirits. Know ye the spirit of God. That's where it starts, being authentic with God. But note the evidence of false prophets. John does a great job of giving us some things here to really help us out in, in really discerning some things. I wanted to start with the spiritual things on our responsibility before I jumped into these, this other list. Because this list I'm going to give you is not going to help you if you're not born again and walking in the Spirit. If you're not born again and walking in the Spirit, you will be susceptible to false prophets and false doctrine. It's just, it's just the way it is. We have people in our church right now dancing with the devil because they are not adhering to walking in this. It's not that they don't know what to do. They just don't listen to what God is telling them. And they're not doing the truth. And that opens you up to problems. But anyway, moving on. So John says... Uh, um, <clears throat> that there are some things that we need to do in chapter 4 and verse 1. First, believe not every spirit. We are to try the spirits. Put them on trial against God's word and see if they hold up under scrutiny as <clears throat> they are brought into the light. Second, we are, uh, we are to try the spirits. So we believe not the spirits, then we try the spirits. So uh, we put the spirits on trial by comparing them with the absolute standard of God's word. Now, I've already said that once, but let me be a little bit more specific. In Revelation 19 and verse 10, the Bible teaches us that the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. So I'm going to dive a little deeper with you for just a moment. What does that really mean? Well, in the Old Testament, when a prophet spoke, the test of his authenticity was the accuracy of his prophecy. So if it was not 100% accurate, if it was not 100% accurate, he was a false prophet. And if a man presumed to be a prophet and prophesied falsely, what happened to him? Right, he was a dead man. 
if they were obedient to the word. Deuteronomy chapter 3, or 18, I'm sorry, verse eight, Deuteronomy 18 and verse 20, the Bible says, but, a, but the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. And if thou say in thine heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? Good question. Verse 22, when a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken. But the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously, thou shalt not be afraid of him. And so, uh, so in the Old Testament, it was a big deal. Uh, the false prophets are lucky we're not in the Old Testament, or there'd be a lot of heads rolling, right? And so, uh, but God will judge them anyway. Their heads will roll eventually, and they'll be more like worms than heads rolling. But anyway, that's another thing, another story. So John makes it clear that many false prophets are gone into the world, <clears throat> and therefore it's, it's necessary to know how to spot a phony. And John is teaching, his teaching is profitable. Uh, it was profitable in the first century, but it's also profitable in this, uh, at the end of this dispensation as we're getting ready to wrap up the church age, and it's exceedingly profitable in the coming tribulation when the spirit of Antichrist will deceive uh, very uh, all kinds of uh, people. And so Jesus uh, spoke to the need to put false prophets on trial in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15. He said, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits, right? Just like you know us by our fruit, right? You know us because of the fruit of the Spirit. He says a false prophet, they're going to have some evidence of that. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not uh, forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire, wherefore by their fruits you shall know them. Now this is in the same chapter, chapter 7, where Jesus starts off there and says, judge not lest ye be judged. And so a lot of people will say, Brian, you can't judge. No, but I can, inf I can inspect the fruit, right? I can look at the evidence. I can put them on trial. Plus, that's a kingdom of heaven context, but that's another discussion. So Jesus prophesied uh, we're going to judge angels, that's what Paul said. So just so you know, uh, being a son of God gives you great insight in judgment because you have the truth, as I've already stated. So Jesus prophesied of the problem humanity would face at the hands of these false prophets in what's called the beginning of sorrows in the time of Daniel's 70th week prior to the abomination of desolation. Now, if that's all just gibberish to you, that's cool. We'll get to the practical lap. Some of you guys will know what I'm talking about. Uh, before the Antichrist rises to full authority at the midpoint of the coming tribulation, the, the world will be confused as many false prophets rise and deceive many, causing the love of many to wax cold. Matthew 24, 11 says, and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. So just like in the first century, uh, just in the, uh, in the last uh, days before Jesus comes back, this is going to continue. In the Old Testament, signs would accompany prophets to authenticate his message. An example of this would be in 1 Kings 13, verses 3 through 5. God sent a man of God to Jeroboam while he was offering a burnt offering. And then the prophet cries against the altar and proclaims a prophecy about a fellow named Josiah who would be born 290 years later. And then to authenticate that prophecy, just to let Jeroboam know this, this is God and he means business, 
All of a sudden, the altar breaks and splits. God cracks his altar where he's doing sacrifices to let him know, oh, man, this guy is of God. And so he would use signs to, because they were Jews, Jews require a sign, Greeks seek after wisdom. He would use signs to authenticate the prophecy uh, that God sent to them. And so uh, in Isaiah 38, in verse 8, um, God turned back the sundial to authenticate Isaiah's prophecy to Hezekiah. In Jeremiah chapter 26 and verse 16, the sign that Jeremiah's prophecy was authentic was the death of Hananiah later that year. He offers a prophecy and says, uh, this, is, this word is true, thus saith the Lord. And by the way, just so you know it's true, Hananiah is going to die within a year. And that's, guess what? Hananiah died within a year. Because when a prophet spoke it, it came to pass, and there were often signs to verify it. Well, <clears throat> as we grow closer to the coming of Christ, uh, signs and lying wonders will, be, will increase. And the Antichrist will be ushered into power by signs and lying wonders. God's not the only one that's able to do signs. Uh, you'll remember Janus and Jamber, uh, and the, the uh, two magicians that withstood Moses back in, in Exodus. They were able to just almost match step for step the miracles uh, that Moses was doing. In First Thess- Second Thessalonians, I'm sorry, verse 2, chapter 2, I'm sorry, in verse 9, uh, even him, the Bible says, whose coming is after the working of Satan, talking about the coming um, um, son of uh, perdition, with all power and signs and lying wonders. He's going to come with, with all kinds of power and signs and lying wonders and, will, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. We live in a time right now where there's a lot of false prophets going around. There's a lot of false teaching. And there's a lot of people drawn to a lot of, of uh, errant doctrine as if a sign is greater than the gospel. The point is simply this. The devil can do signs. Don't get caught up in that. Uh, The bottom line is stick with the truth of God's word. And so ultimately, the world's going to be deceived by signs and lying wonders uh, because Satan is going to have the opportunity to beguile the world that will not receive the love of the truth. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. This is why we must be able to discern the authentic from the false and the phony. We need to be able to discern why Muhammad or Joseph Smith or Mary Baker Eddy or Amy McPherson or Benny Hinn or Judge Rutherford or Charles uh, uh, Taz Russell or Pope Francis or um, whoever you want to talk about is our <clears throat> uh, false prophets. We do this by knowing God and walking in his spirit and trying the spirits against the truth of the word of God and understanding the difference in the fruit of the spirit and the fruits of of those fruits, of those people that are, that are false prophets. So even in the first century, right, just 20 to 30 years after Jesus' ascension, um, many had already went out to preach a false gospel. So Satan can keep men from hearing the gospel. What is the reason? Why? why, do, why? What's the point in a, false go- in a false sign and a false wonder and all these other things and all this false prophecy? Well, it's to keep people from getting the one true message. The one true message that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. If they can get someone to believe a prosperity gospel, that coming to Christ is about having a bigger bank account or having all your physical needs met, then man, they'll go after that, and the devil will be successful. It's a terrible thing. In many countries around the world right now, um, where there's deep poverty, uh, the prosperity gospel is just, it's on steroids. And thousands and thousands and millions of people will flock to hear these messages by false prophets of all kinds that will get up and 
and do all kinds of things uh, and do everything but lead him to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's disgusting and it's sad. And it's also true. So even in the first century, those things were going on. The devil's been busy. And so, um, and so in Galatians chapter 1, Paul said this to the church. This is, he's not talking to lost people. He's talking to the church. He says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. In this case, it was a gospel of good works. Right? It, was, it seemed right. It seems righteous. It's like, well, you need to add to God's grace. You need to add to the sacrifice of Christ and keep the law that Jesus already kept that nobody else could keep before him. And Paul's like, God forbid, I'm surprised, church in Galatia, that you would be caught up in this. You're already moved into another gospel, then it's not the gospel of grace. He says, which is not another gospel, but there, <clears throat> uh, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach another gospel unto you, then that ye would, then that which ye have, then that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so I now, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which ye have received, let him be accursed. So John gives us four simple things that we can do to try the spirits to see if they are of God. And so if you're taking notes, point one, these are practical things, practical things that we can do. Uh, Notice, by the way, before we get to point one, look back at the text. Look at verse one. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets, look at this, are gone out into the world. When you open up your Bible in Genesis, what happens right off the bat? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Verse 2. And the earth was out form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. You know what the Spirit of God does? He moves. He's always been moving since Genesis, and he's still moving. He's, recre- he's creating, right? He's, he's reestablishing life on earth after the fall of Satan in Genesis uh, 1, verse 2 on. And he's reestablishing well, first the universe, then the, then, the, then the planet, and then all the life forms, right? The Spirit of God is active in creation. But you know what? The spirit of Antichrist and false spirits are active in destruction. And so we have diametrically opposed spirits. We have one that's about creation and one that's about destruction. One that's about reconciliation and one that's about a disconnection for all of eternity. And so when the spirit, when the false spirit, don't, don't misunderstand. There's a reason we have a great commission to go ye therefore. Because we are supposed to be following what the spirit is doing in the world. So I don't mean go ye therefore, you know, just, just around the world, though we do need to do that. That's all part of it. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts. But I mean go ye therefore today. Like let's go ye therefore and invite people to harvest parties. Let's go ye therefore and share the gospel at work. Let's go, we got to move with the spirit of God. This gets back to the very first point. Because the Spirit of God's moving, well, Satan counteracts it. So point A, note, the, note their confession. If you want to spot the phony, note their confession. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God, and this is the Spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is, in, is it in the world. So false prophets reject the mystery of godliness. I already laid that out from 1 Timothy 3.16 and John 1.14. The incarnation of Christ is a fact of history. That's going to be rejected by a false prophet. 1 Corinthians 15, 6, 
after he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remaineth unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. So in 50-some A.D., Paul's saying, listen, Jesus Christ's resurrection, he's not even just talking about his earthly ministry, his re- the reality that Jesus Christ lived and resurrected was known by 500 people that you go interview at that time. Many people knew that Jesus Christ was alive. And so we had already, <clears throat> uh, so uh, in the, the incarnation, the death, the burial, the resurrection, uh, were so well established and documented in the first century that Paul appealed to Agrippa on the authority of historical context and, and witness to the, the authenticity of Jesus' ministry in Acts 26, verses 25 through 26. He said, I am, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king, which is King Agrippa, knoweth of these things before whom I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. What thing? The fact that Jesus lived a sinful life, died on the cross, and was resurrected, Jesus, and, and met Paul on the road to Damascus. All that was public knowledge. And he says, hey, Festus, if you don't, if you don't believe me, ask Agrippa over here. Ask King Agrippa. He'll tell you. This is an established fact of history. Paul's calling it out in court. Yet by the end of the first century, there were a bunch of wise guys who started a new thing called uh, docetism from a Greek word meaning illusion, and that is to teach that Jesus never really had a physical body. John was calling these guys out and letting people know that they were false prophets. Today, the Christian scientists and the New Age movement, they believe the exact same things about Jesus, that he is, he is all deity with no humanity. And of course, I don't believe they think he's probably the deity, but at any rate, um, they have the similar belief that, that John was fighting then, and they preach a false, a false gospel. The incarnation, the resurrection, are a fact of prophecy as well. And for time's sake, I won't look all those up, but Isaiah 9, 6, most of you are familiar with that, right? Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. In Micah 5, 2 and Isaiah 7, 4, it tells us that he'll be born in Bethlehem. He'll be born of a virgin, for goodness sake. All those details were prophetically accurate with many more, and it was all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So the primary problem the Pharisees and the Sadducees had with Jesus was that he proclaimed to be God manifest in the flesh. That was the problem. Like, how dare you say you're God manifest in the flesh? The problem was Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. So there's no denying from Scripture that Jesus was manifest in the flesh. In Matthew one twenty one, the Bible says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And behold, Luke one thirty one, Thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. His name is Jesus, John one three. All things were made by him, Jesus, and without him was not anything that uh, thing made that was made. He is not just Jesus, he is Jesus who is the creator. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not, meaning he is God. Jesus is God. Colossians 1, verse 15 says, Who is the image? Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created, that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. So there is a long list of false prophets who deny the mystery of godliness to this day. And you know what? You may have been one of those. I used to not think Jesus, I thought, well, he lived, but he didn't really rise from the dead. I used to be one of those guys. I didn't go out and preach it, but that's what I believed in my heart until I met Jesus. 
Maybe that's you today. Maybe you just need to meet Jesus. Because I'll tell you what, you, you need to note the confession. When somebody doesn't believe that Jesus Christ is alive from the dead, they're not saved. And if they're out preaching about Jesus, they're a false prophet. I promise you that. Okay, note their location as well. In verse 3, he says, And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God, and this is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard it, that it should come, and even now already is it, in the world. Earlier in John, in 1 John 2, 15-17, John established that all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it's not of the Father. And so it's no surprise that the, that the world wars against God's truth with false teaching and prophecies to undermine His authority. Don't get your theology off the internet. Get it from the Bible and the and Bible-believing local New Testament church, which is getting harder and harder to get a hold of. So false prophets will set themselves up as an authority or point you to an authority other than God's word. So today, that's what we kind of have in our modern world. So it's it's like old it's like syncretism, like they have in India. So if you're a Hindu, you can you can worship any god, and it's okay. Jesus is a god, Buddha's a god, whatever. Do your thing. And so today in our culture, it's okay to be a Christian as long as Jesus does not have an exalted view, right? You can have your Jesus. But do not let your Jesus interfere with my whatever, my education, my economy, my, mora- my, my moral standing, or my lack thereof, right? Jesus is not allowed in, in, the lost minds, in the lost person's mind to rule and reign. And so we got to have an exalted view of who Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ is God, and we understand that in this world, he's just not going to be accepted, except in the hearts of those that are ready to be saved. And so we preach the gospel because we want to see all men everywhere saved. We preach the love of Christ, but we, we also got to understand the location of those that are false prophets. Their minds are going to be focused on the things of this earth. There's a reason uh, why, and I need to get to this in the next point here, note their conversation. Look in verse 5. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. So here's what happens. False prophets speak of our best life now, right? What are they going to speak about? They're not going to be speaking about things eternal. They're not going to be focused on eschatology. They're not going to be worried about what's coming in the millennium. They're not really going to be focused on what happens at the judgment seat of Christ. For goodness sakes, you can dial up Benny Hinn and and watch a 40-minute video of him talking about false prophets, and he is one. The reality is this, beloved. The the false prophet is is going to try to get you to focus on this world, and the things of this life. But the truth of the Bible is to give us so much more. This world and the fashion of these things is going to pass away. God's got a better plan. And so we have to be heavenly minded and not focus on the things of this world. Colossians 3 says the opposite. Paul says, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are where? Above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above not on the things of this earth. It's not a name it, claim it deal. He says, no, your best life isn't now. Your best life is in eternity. So lay up treasure for yourself in heaven, Matthew chapter 6. Not on the earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal. That's Jesus saying that. Jesus is not about the best life now. He's about your best life in eternity. He's like today, be a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service because you have so much to look forward to. 
Don't cash out your inheritance today. Don't be a prodigal son. Don't go spend all your inheritance in the pig lot. Put your inheritance in eternity. That's where you're going to get the payoff. That's where your father's going to be. Don't leave home. Stay with your father in heaven. All the world, all over the world, the prosperity gospel replaces the gospel of Jesus Christ with the gospel of greed and often plays on the deeply impoverished and the folks who need the hope of Christ the most. There's a host of charismatic preachers like Benny Hinn and T.D. Jakes and Paula White, many others, I could go on and on, who get on television, who have pack out you know, complexes, and they lure people in with a false gospel, another gospel, but not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ironically, most of these, I don't know all of them, but some of them live very sumptuous lives every day, like the rich man in Luke 16. And in a way, my heart goes out to him because while they're leading others into perdition, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know who's saved and who's not, but I'm sure some of those folks are going to wake up like the rich man in hell. So let's do this. The last thing, and I'm done. Note who gives them undivided attention. He says in verse 6, We are of God, and he that knoweth God heareth us. Right? We hear those that are speaking the truth. He says, But he that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error, the false prophet isn't going to acknowledge the authority of Scripture. This Bible is not going to be where they're drawing their source from. They may use it to twist it and pervert it, but it's not going to be their, their primary source of teaching. The false prophet is going to exalt his authority over the words of God. They're going to say things like, well, I got a word of knowledge. They're going to say things like, I got a, well, they won't say it, but this is what they'll do. They'll say, I got a revelation, I got a dream, I got this or that. And it's what's called extra-biblical revelation. You drive 30 minutes, 20 minutes up the street, you're going to get that. Well, you don't even have to drive out of Harrisonville technically, but I won't get into that. I don't want to step on all my neighbor's toes. So I'll go down the street a little ways. But there's some very influential people just up the highway here. And I tell you what, they'll tell you, oh, yeah, I got, got extra-biblical revelation. I got insights that you, you aren't getting because I'm, I'm the prophet so-and-so or I'm, so, I'm, I'm somebody, not of God's reputation, but of false reputation. And I've got a word from God that you can't get a hold of. Man, when you see that, you need to go the other way. Run. Get away. That's a false prophet. Yeah, but I know. I know it's, I know it's attractive. I know it can be seductive. And I know, you know what I know? I know some of the people that buy into that are good people. And I know that, the, that God might even use, uh, you know, this and that, and so-and-so got saved or whatever. Well, praise God. God will do a lot of things with a lot of people. But at the end of the day, I'm your pastor, and I'm just telling you, Run from false prophets. Go the other way. And if you harden your heart, God will allow you to receive the message that you insist upon. When you know the truth and you choose not to do it, then God will let you do what you want to do. Turn to 1 Kings 22 and you'll be done. I need to be done, but I can't finish without this. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go just a minute longer. This won't take long. 1 Kings 22, verse 1. You thought we were over. We just about are. I want you to see this in conclusion. And you got to turn there. I didn't give them, I gave them the references, but these aren't on the screen. First Kings chapter uh, 22. As you're turning there, I'll give you a little backstory. Um, <clears throat> Ahab is, is uh, um, and Jehoshaphat, or kings, King Jehoshaphat's king of Judah, 
Ahab, wicked king Ahab, is king of Israel, the ten tribes of the north. This looks like a great ecumenical story. They're coming together. They're going to battle together. I mean, it looks really good, but God's not pleased. And so let's pick it up in verse 3. It says, And the king of Israel, that's Ahab, said unto his servants, Know ye that Ramoth in Gilead is ours, and we be still, and take it not out of the hand of the king of Syria. And he said unto Jehoshaphat, Wilt thou go with me to the battle of Ramoth-Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as thou art, my people as thy people, my horses as thy horses. He's like, yeah, man, we're brothers. You know, you're to the north, I'm to the south, but we all come from Abraham. Okay, man, let's do this thing. But then he says in verse 5, And Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, Inquire, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord today. You know, King uh, Ahab, I just don't go out to battle without a little prayer service. I want to know God's in this thing, right? Okay, so let's see what happens. Uh, Then King Israel, which is Ahab, gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, 400, and said unto them, Shall I go against Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And they said, Go up, for the Lord shall deliver it into thine hand of the king. Now, Jehoshaphat has some spiritual discernment because for some reason, <laughs> he's not buying this. And he says, uh, is there not uh, here a prophet of the Lord besides that we might inquire of him? So Jehoshaphat's like, uh, there's 400 prophets and I ain't buying a one of them. Can you bring one of the Lord? And it's interesting, the response. And, and the king of Israel, Ahab, he said unto Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man. Micaiah, the son of Imla, by whom we, have in, we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. For he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And, Jeho- and this is Jeho- Jehoshaphat says, uh, Let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, Hasten hither, uh, Micaiah, the son of Imla, and the king of Israel, and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, sat each on his throne, having put on their robes and avoid place in the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets prophesied before them. And Zedekiah the son of Shaniah made him horns of iron, and he said thus, saith the Lord, with these shalt thou push the Syrians until they have consumed them. And you can read what they all said. All these great, incredible prosperity messages came from these prophets. But then you get down to verse 15. So he came to the king, and the king said unto him, well, verse 14, And Micaiah, Micaiah said, As the Lord liveth, what the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. So he came to the king, and the king said unto him, Micaiah, shall we go against Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall we forbear? And he answered him, Go and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it into the, into the hand of the king. And the king said unto him, How many times shall I adjure thee, that thou tell me nothing but what is true in the name of the Lord? And he said, I saw all Israel scattered upon the hills as sheep and have not a she- that have not a shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let them return every man to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell thee that he would prophesy no good concerning me but evil? And he said, Hear thou therefore the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing by him on the right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead. And one said unto his man, said on this manner, and the other on that manner. And there came forth a spirit, and took before the Lord, and stood before the Lord, I'm sorry, and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said unto him, Wherewith? 
And he said, I will go forth and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, thou shalt persuade him and, and prevail also. Go forth and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the, in the mouth of all these thy prophets. And the Lord hath spoken evil concerning thee. But Zedekiah, the son of Shaniah, went near and smote Micaiah on the cheek and said, Which way went the Spirit of the Lord from me to speak unto thee? And Micaiah said, Behold, thou shalt see in that day when thou shalt go into an inner chamber to hide thyself. And the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah and carry him back unto Ammon and the governor of the city and to Joash the king's son. And say, Thus saith the king, Put this fellow in prison, and feed him with the bread of affliction, and with the water of affliction, until I come in peace. And Micaiah said, If thou return at all in peace, the Lord hath not spoken by me, and hath said, Hearken, O people, every one of you. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went to Ramoth-Gilead. And how did the story end? It ended just the way Micaiah said it would. I don't have time to look at it, but it ends up, so Ahab thinks he's cute, and he changes the clothes with Jehoshaphat. I don't know what kind of faith Jehoshaphat had. He should never been there to start with, but he, they go out to battle, and guess what? Ahab, he is wounded, and he dies, and uh, his chariot's full of blood, and the prophecy comes to pass just like the prophet said, just like he said. And so we've been born again, beloved, into a spiritual battle. Truth and error. There are 400 prophets, all of them saying the wrong thing. Only one guy was saying what the Lord wanted him to say. And God was so tired of Ahab that he was willing to let that prophet let Ahab do what he wanted to do. Because he just didn't want to hear. He just didn't want to hear what the Word of God had to say. John is writing to his, his people, his beloved people, and says, Hey, beloved, listen, don't believe every spirit. Try the Spirit. Make sure they're of God. You've got the Spirit in you. Greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. You may be here this morning and you have never heard a clear and simple gospel presentation. Maybe you're watching online. It's this simple. This is the truth. Jesus Christ is God. He lived a sinless life. And though He was the truth, of the, uh, the truth He's the way, the truth, and the life, He was rejected. And he died on the cross for not only the sin of Israel, but for the sin of the world. And he died a terribly cruel death. All the sin of the world was placed on him on the space of three hours on the cross. And then he said, forgive them for they know not what they do. It is finished. And he gave up the ghost. And the sacrifice for our sin was done. He went to the center of the earth and preached to the captives for three days. And on the third day, as the scripture says, he rose again. And he is alive right now. He has ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he promises that he's going to come back in judgment. And so if you don't know him as Lord and Savior, you're not going to catch him in the air. You're going to catch him in judgment. And that truth ought to shake you to your core, and you don't want to just ignore it like Ahab and go off into battle of life thinking that you can outsmart God because you cannot. The word of God is true. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day. And beloved, as his ambassadors, that's the message that we got to be very crystal clear on. No, no questions about it, because there's so much noise in this world, so many false prophets. You can get 400 messages that'll tell you some other way than Jesus. But there's only one way, one truth, and one life. 
and that's Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Just to...